Welcome to the Monkey Business Show from cash flow to crypto, all the things you need to know to invest in the market. I'm Aaron Hodges and joined from the Maryland household of Eric Salzman. It's Eric Salzman. Can you believe it? <laughs> you know, I got to take offense to what you guys said last week about me never getting my fingernails dirty. <laughs> I have been a janitor. You know, the, the famous golf course at Beth Page, Beth, Beth Page Black. I don't. The Black course. That they, no. play, they played two U.S. Opens there. That sounds like some high society shit. Well, actually, it's, it's a public course. Um, it's not. It, it's Bethpage State Park. So just so you know, in 1984, I dug the sand traps for that place. All right? <laughs> Three months. Three months. I had a blast doing it, but, you know. But, but, yeah. So, you know, screw you guys. I know you can't see me on the podcast, but I'm giving you both the finger there. All right, so in 1984, you got your hands dirty. Got it. Yeah, it's been a while, but you know. <laughs> that actually sounds kind of cool, because in a way, you're almost helping to design the golf course, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't know much. I was wearing a yellow hard hat, and we were just kind of digging and carrying sand from the, the bottom to the top. But uh, we, we had a lot of fun. We had a good, good cast of characters. I, I guess I'll lay off the Silver Spoon narrative. You've proven that. You've uh, you've been in the ditches. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, my co-host or our co-host, I, I think he still gets manicures every week. I think you're right. I think actually what I was saying about you ha- being born with a silver spoon in your mouth was actually misdirected and is more accurate for Richie. I think Peak skill royalty. He was talking about not having a car until he was 30 years old. Jesus. What is that? Uh, the Bennett family is they call them the royalty of Peekskill, New York. The market is kind of going crazy here. It seems like it's been a good week. AMC and some of the quote unquote meme stocks heating up again. Yeah. I think a year on the year now, uh, as of yesterday, AMC, the, um, the uh, movie theater chain is up 3000%. Woo. Yeah. And then yesterday the stock went up a hundred percent. And uh, it also, what really got kind of lost was these other meme stocks like Cost went up 69%, Bed Bath and Beyond 62%, BlackBerry. Before they before they pushed it up in January, I had no idea that BlackBerry was even still in business. Um, pushed them up 31%. So the uh, the Reddit boys are back. Um, and also, you know, I looked at you looked at AMC and GameStop has been going up a lot too. So as of yesterday, AMC, now you got to remember, AMC stock was in the toilet before the COVID, right? AMC stock was down about seven bucks. This is like January 2020. So we're not, we're not even at the, the, the pandemic yet. So if you think about it, if their business model was failing, as you'd expect, the more streaming, the more at-home content, it's just more and more competition for these guys. And competition that, quite frankly, they're going to have a very difficult time beating. They were, you know, their business model was really in the dumps. And then when COVID hit, that was it. Like, no one's going to a movie theater. Like, they, they were probably days away from declaring bankruptcy. And now here they are, according to their stock price, they closed yesterday at 62 and 55 cents. And that means that that stock was about a $32 billion company. That was the market cap of AMC. And $32 billion is greater than 50% of the stocks in the S&P 500. So ponder that. Doesn't seem to make sense. Yeah. Now, it was, it was a few weeks ago, a hedge fund 
actually bought eight and a half million shares of AMC for a dollar price of 27. Now he bought those immediately came out and said, AMC is overvalued as he, he turned around and dumped those eight and a half million shares into the market. It was probably a couple of weeks ago that he sold them for a nice profit. And normally if some guy comes in and says the, the stock's overvalued and, and dumps eight and a half million shares, that generally is bad for the stock. But instead guys snapped it up and took it up, like I said, over a hundred percent yesterday. Now, is this like another uh, short squeeze? What's happening? I, I noticed now. I, I don't have the figures in front of me that show what the amount of the float, I mean, the shares outstanding that actually were being shorted. But the last look on Bloomberg showed it's about 19, 19% short interest is a big number. It's not GameStop where they, they actually were short more, people were short more shares than were actually in existence. But 20% is a big number, 19, 20%. So, yeah, I, I got to imagine that, that the shorts are getting slammed. You know, what this is doing is if it keeps burning short sellers enough and, and people are going out there with an active, we're going to take you know any stock that is as a significant stock that has a significant short base to it, we're just going to squeeze those guys out and we buy based on the fact that we want to buy, you know, YOLO or whatever the fuck they say. So that's going to drive out a lot of short sellers and short sellers are important for the market. I'll tell you why, even if you're long the stock, because when the shorts are gone, that, when that stock goes down, as it will at some point, every stock goes down, it'll go straight down. Meaning, when a bunch of guys are short your stock and it starts going down, what happens is those guys come in and buy to, to basically take profits, right? So as the stock's heading down, you get these kind of breaks, meaning it, it stops going down. It may go up a little bit, but it's really because the, the shorts are covering. Is that what people are talking about when they say the stock has found some support at this level? Well, I mean... Sort real of. support should be that you've got real buyers, not shorts coming mm-hmm. in and, and closing out their positions. But it does right. give you a chance to rethink what you're doing. And, you know, if you're a smaller investor, you could sell. And at least if it goes from 62 and then stops at 45, you could at least get out of 45. Once the shorts are cleared out and there's no bid and it's all sellers, forget it. It's it, it, There's nothing to stop it from going back down to 20 in, in a day. Right. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm still trying to wrap my head around shorting, and that kind of makes sense to me. That yeah, definitely breaks it down. You want to have short sellers in the markets because, A, they call a lot of bullshit uh, out on people. You know, a lot of short sellers find real things in companies, whether it's accounting fraud, whether it's – that's generally how a lot of these things are, are discovered is that, you know, you'll have a big short seller come out and not – you know, these guys are short the stock. And, you know, they're just being bullies, right? They come out and say, I don't think the valuation's terrible. I'm short it, you know. Like, yeah, that, to me, it's all right. The valuation's terrible. Well, yeah, maybe, but it may not be terrible for the people that are buying and, and like the stock. A lot of times you get big guys like Carl Icahn come out and say he's going to short a stock. And a lot of times he's just talking his position. And he doesn't come out and say, look, I've looked into this and these guys have been overstating earnings or understating expenses for the last three years. It's all bullshit. I'm selling the stock. That's different because what that does is it gives it puts a a micro a microscope on these companies that really need to get investigated and really and, and don't belong and may have defrauded uh, you know defrauded stockholders. So that's really important when those guys can't do business anymore because you've got you've got the Reddit guys and you've got and let's face it it wasn't just Reddit with GameStop right and, and a lot of people said that it very well could have been remember Archegos Bill Bill Wang yeah yeah that was one of his strategies was to 
buy the crap out of company stocks that were that a lot big short based on. Uh, so he very well could have been behind a decent amount of the buying, not just a bunch of guys sitting at home, you know, trading on Robinhood. But when you have that force in the market, you know, these guys, they, they most of them are hedge funds, right? They can't they can't exist. If they you know, Melvin Capital, when they drop 75 percent in a month, they're never going to make it's going to take them two, three years to try to make that back. So it kind of destroys the short seller hedge fund business model. That's a key structural thing to think about with the market. You mentioned uh, earlier that your son asked you to uh, buy some AMC yesterday. <laughs> yeah, he asked me in the morning and the stock was, I don't know, it was probably around, it was probably around the, the high of the day. I think maybe it was in the early afternoon. And I didn't even, I wasn't even watching. I was working and, I, and all of a sudden I go, shit, look at that. It's up, you know, it, it closed yesterday at like 30 something and now it's, it's, it's in the high 60s. So I was like, if you're going to give me money, I'll, I'll buy for you. But I'm not putting that in my account because it's, it's up about 80, 90% today. And uh, sure enough, he comes back two, three hours later. And he's like, his buddies are now telling him that they made a lot of money on AMC today. And I said, all right, pal, look, here's where you I pulled up the chart. I said, here's where you came in and told me to, told me to buy. And it was about $68 or something like that. It got to a high of 72 yesterday. This stock is now, now granted, I went back to 62, but when you coming in here, you'd be down, it was, it's down to 58 now, maybe even a little lower. I mean, it was kind of a laugh because he came in kind of giving me crap. Like, hey, you, you, every time you tell me don't do this, I don't do it. And then, you know, and then, and then I don't make, everybody else makes money but me. <laughs> that is true. You do have several stories like that now. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but once again, like, you know, we, we get to value and, you know, how do you evaluate? How does AMC have a value of thirty-two billion dollars when it had a value of maybe a billion um, or less a few months ago? Like what? What's changed? And yeah, I mean, we we are reopening, right? I mean, the economy is certainly reopening, but and AMC will go from completely dead, no one going to the theaters, nobody. Oh, and by the way, AMC is going to reward these new shareholders. Did you see this? No, they're going to give a free a free large popcorn. <laughs> That's a dividend that I'm trying to get. Some companies do a dividend. <laughs> These guys are going to, they're going to give you a free large popcorn and other things they said. So, but look, to tell you what, that you have adults playing with kids, they've already said this morning that they're thinking of selling 11 and a half million more shares. And they, again, they're going to have to come out with a similar warning. Remember when, remember when Hertz came out and they said, look, you can, when Hertz tried to sell it, when the stock got to five, five and a half bucks back in the bottom of the, of the, of the COVID crisis. And they had to put out there that they were told, like, you got to put out, there's a good probability you will lose all of your money if you buy this. Mm-hmm. It. AMC, I think, has to put similar things on theirs. But look, if, if they could sell 11 and a half million shares, let's say, you know, let's say they're not going to sell it at 62. But, you know, let's say they raise they raise half a billion dollars doing that in equity. They're going to go out and they're going to they're going to repurchase debt. They're basically going to. They're going to repay debt. They're going to they're going to call on their bonds. They're going to pay down you know lo- loans that they've got. So that that quote is good for the company, right? Because they have now they have less leverage. They have less interest expenses, things like that. But and it doesn't necessarily make it good for the stockholders, right? Because I don't think that them take we call it deleveraging. If they're going to be paying off this debt, that still doesn't make them a thirty two billion dollar company. So we'll see. I mean, it's just like. It's a lot like, you know, uh, um, Bitcoin or Ethereum, right? Like, why is it worth $60,000 of Bitcoin? I don't know. Like, there's no there's no rhyme or reason to why it is other than that people at, the, at that moment think that's where it should be. It's just a perceived value. Right? Uh-huh. Like, 
And I think I, I think they're still keeping up with what they do on the Reddit meme guys or Wall Street bets is they're buying calls. They're not just buying, you know, stock, they're buying calls. So I looked at some calls yesterday. When the stock the stock closed yesterday at sixty two dollars and fifty five cents. A call that expires in three months. Remember, call is the right to buy the stock. And every call is a hundred shares. So if you today, this first, or actually, let's call it the close of business yesterday, right before the close of business. If you if you wanted to buy a call that you can sell the stock, so 62 and a half now, sell the stock at 80. So the strike is 80, $80 on the call. You had to pay 20 bucks, $20, which means that that stock has to go from $62.55 to $100 because you you have the right to buy the stock at 80, but you already paid 20 for the for the option. So you have to that stock literally has to go up about 60% for you to make any money in the next three weeks. Mm. But that's what these guys do. And maybe it'll get to a hundred dollars today. Who who knows? But you know. Um <laughs> I'm sitting here watching it as you're talking, and uh it was down to 46 and jumped up to uh 48 and then back down and now it's at 50. So it's all over the place. Okay, right so if you bought those options yesterday, you're already down three bucks. The the same options are worth 17 now. Um, well, I think a lot of that is because the company did come out and they did say that they were going to buy, uh, I'm sorry, they were going to issue 11 and a half million more shares. So that obviously everything else equal, that's not good if you're a stockholder because it's going to dilute you. So right now you got people probably taking profits. Once this thing goes down, you got people, that are, you know, I know that uh, the Reddit theme is to is buy and hold forever, but, you know, I'm sure there's guys that made a lot of money yesterday or the last few days that are probably selling. But that being said, who knows? We've seen this happen before and stock goes down sharply, but it can go up just as quickly again if these guys want to keep buying. It's ongoing. It seems like this is just going to be a cycle now where some of these stocks just get a lot of attention and a lot of volume. Mm-hmm. People are cashing in and some people are losing big right. time. But it seems like a big fun game. And I mean, at least GameStop, you can kind of, there's things you can point to, right? You can point to new management new business plan that wasn't unreasonable, right? They didn't say they're going to get into, you know, uh, becoming a pharmaceutical company or something, right? They said they're going to take their existing business model and do what they should do, which is put it online and, and become, you know, a, a non-brick-and-mortar company. They're going to get away from that. That was GameStop. And they're bringing in a new management team. The people that are bringing in were good. And GameStop's already in that business. Um, they've got a great client list. They probably have great relationships with the game makers. So that made sense. AMC, like, again, the stock was at seven bucks before COVID. Seven dollars. What does that tell you? It tells you that people had completely lost confidence in the business model. And I mean, you don't have to be a genius. This isn't like you know, like Regeneron, where you got to you got to understand the type of new drug that they're coming out with. I mean, this is like you go to the movies, right? Or you don't. How many? I mean, how many times a year do you go to the movies? I don't know. I mean, people are excited to get back for sure. I'm thinking AMC and GameStop about to have a merger. They're going to be playing all these video games that you can rent and play on this big screen. The big screen, that? right? Yep, that's a good idea. I bet if you put that that's out there, idea. that would that, that would drive the stock up to ninety. Well, this just in, according <laughs> to certain sources close to the Monkey Business show, AMC and GameStop are discussing a merger. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> to the moon. Of course, we are not recommending any buying or selling of that stock or we're recommending any purchase. 
You have to say that. Yes, we're not recommending anything, and this is all bullshit. <laughs> I just made that up. From meme stocks to our other favorite, SPACs. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this came out, as you know, SPACs have been getting smashed. Like the, you Remember we were talking about that one, um, it was Churchill, that was the SPAC. CCIV is the ticker. And that guy, you remember I was saying, you remember I was telling you that my son's friend wanted to get involved. They were they were spec that was going to buy an electric vehicle uh, car maker. Um, I forget I forget who it was, but you know it's another one of these startups. You know that really doesn't make anything. Lucid Lucid Motors that was it. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody was buying Churchill because they said they were going to buy Lucid Motors. That was going to be part of their spec. And at the time, remember my my son's friend asked me if he should buy, and it was at like forty bucks, you know. And I'm like, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. He didn't do it, and it went to sixty. Well, I think now it's about eighteen, and it continues to. to Spacs just really underperform. But just look here, I just want to see there's, there's actually a Spac index that you can look at, and that that basically has all of the major Spacs in it. So if I look at that, ooh, yeah, that. That, so that thing is at $728. And when Churchill was out there and these things are at the high, it was at $940. So that's a, that's a huge drop. So anyway, the whole SPAC thing has really kind of slowed down. I know A-Rod had admonished a bunch of people that, you know, that, that too many rookies were getting into the game, I think is what he said, which makes me kind of laugh because I don't know what A-Rod's qualifications are to you know, be, be doing mergers and acquisitions, but so be it. But anyway, SPACs, because obviously as, after, you know, 140 billion of them or whatever got were made in the last year and a half, maybe the last, probably in the last six months, if you look at 2020, it really happened towards the end of 2020. And then really the first two or three months of 2021, the SEC finally got into it enough. And they said, we should have a look at this, which is great. They weren't looking at it when, when everybody was buying them and there, there, a few billion were being uh, done a day. Uh, but anyway, between the SEC and people kind of souring on the on the idea, um, SPACs have been getting smashed. And the other day, I think it was yesterday, it came out that when you remember when you're a SPAC, you don't have anything, right? You got this cash, but you haven't bought anything yet, right? So a big a big estimate of value, at least for, for a year or two years, is going to be well, you have to put that money at a very at a risk free. Remember, we talk about the risk free rate. Well, the risk-free rate on um, really is you have to buy one month or three month to, uh, treasury bills, maybe one year bills. Those are that, those are obligations of the treasury. We call those money market uh, money market instruments, and they're like the bedrock of the money market community. Um, and that's where the Fed. I mean, that's right. That's where the treasury does an awful lot of its financing and running its operations every day. Um, they assumed a price of, uh, I'm sorry, a yield of one percent. That you could, they, they basically they can put this, the 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 cash into T bills, Treasury bills, and earn one percent while they're waiting to buy, um, uh, merge or acquire companies in the SPAC. You know where one month Treasury bills are? The yield bonds? Wow. Zero. Zero. Not one percent. Zero point zero. Zero. Three month bills. Zero. One year bills. Very close to zero. So somebody had a great uh, point. They said, all right, you know, maybe that, that's not the biggest thing in the valuation, but it's important, right? I mean, it's definitely something that, you, that, that they're generating. They're saying, based on their estimates, this is what we're worth. This, they have to put in what they're earning on their cash while they're waiting to acquire somebody or merge with somebody. 
Well, if they do that and and they and they're basically bullshitting you on the on the risk free rate that they're putting in, that's easy, right? That's very you don't have to sit there and think about different companies they're gonna buy and what they're gonna be worth and what they're gonna be worth five years from now. Just how much interest are these guys gonna earn on this cash while they're doing the while they're looking to acquire somebody? So what the, the comment yesterday was if they're bullshitting on this, can you imagine what they're bullshitting on about the hard stuff, about what, what they're gonna buy and what they're gonna be worth and and remember, these guys did this on an IPO, initial public uh, initial public offering, right? I don't know what they disclosed, but they disclosed very little because there's not a lot to disclose other than we're going to have your money and it's going to be safe and it's going to be put in this liquid until we buy something. And, you know, that's it, right? It's like you basically are investing in a company that wants that, that is going to buy something within the next 18 months or two years max and all is going to be wonderful. That's it. It's a lot of blind trust. Total then, and so that's the point. It's like, well, if you, if you're completely full of shit on 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 the rate of interest you can earn while while you're looking with on your cash while you're looking to buy somebody, then God knows what you're the other assumptions that are going into these things, and that's that's going to be a problem, um, or is a problem right now. So when you start thinking about that, and you think about what's happened, like with Bitcoin and the and the uh, the cryptocurrencies, remember that you know tremendous drop we we had a couple of weeks ago, and Bitcoin hasn't recovered. I mean, Bitcoin is around 40,000 right now, maybe a little lower. You have people that are buying, like I said, they're buying calls on, on AMC, they're buying costs, they're buying all this, you know, all this stuff. And the problem is that they are either buying on, they're buying things on margin or they're buying call options, which have a ton of, a ton of leverage in them. When these things go down, you got to sell. So if you're holding AMC in, 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 a, in an account, but Bitcoin drops another twenty percent. That could be it, right? They could tell you they'll make a margin call on you, and if you don't make it, they're going to blow your stock out. So, while the Reddit guys are very forceful and they could they could certainly have shown an impact the market need to be respected, you have to look at who's buying and you have to say, well, what if things go south? Things if there's anything goes south, and and you kind of know all the different asset classes and stocks and and crypto that they're buying and they hold, and you know, all, it's not going to take much for, you know, for, for margin calls to pick up. And for these things, you know, guys, who, guys who bought, you know, AMC yesterday in the 60s or in the, in the 50s, well, where, where's right now? It's about 48, right? It might have changed uh, quite a bit since. Yeah, it's, down, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's down 26% today. Where are we at? Where are we at? I see dollars price 46. 46? It's back to 46? Yes. Or 50. Yeah, so it's it's crazy. It's crazy, but. I mean, people are having fun swinging it. I guess so. It is what it is, man. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. When, when no one can explain things to you, that's when you like. I, I get a lot of grief from the younger crowd in my life because I just tell them, look, if, if I can't figure it out, I'm not buying. I mean, I, I went through the dot com bubble and I made money on complete bullshit. I remember there was a, um, I think I was a Freddie Mac. Yeah, it was a Freddie Mac during that time, and. There was a stock called iVillage, and now, granted, if that stock, if that company iVillage, it was it was basically internet media for women. It takes a village type thing. So iVillage was a was a company really that obviously didn't make any money. Had like a very scant business plan, but we they catered to women's and women's points of views and whatever the hell it was. I, I would never touch it. So one time, I'm sitting on a desk, and my CMO trader comes walking by, a bond trader. And he goes to me, he goes, Saucy, 
buy the village, buy, buy my village. I'm like, why? He goes, just buy it. I'm like, okay. Just buy it. I bought it at like 18. I'm watching. 19, 20, 20 and a half. Song, song, what was his name? The, uh, the, the trader comes back. He goes, sell the village, sell the village. We're burning, we're burning down the village. I'm like, okay. Got out of it. I made, you know, I probably made a buck, two bucks on the stock. And I, I just did it because someone told me to buy it and told me to sell it. You know? I think that's the majority of what's happening with a lot of the retail uh, investors right now, the, the day traders right now. It's just somebody's told you to do it. So right. get in and get out. And so that, a lot of things that are happening now, it's very reminiscent of the, of the stock bubble. And like I said, with Richie and I always say, eventually reality has to hit. When reality hits, you know, everything that, you know, you know quote Warren Buffett, you know, you don't know who's, when the, when the tide goes out, you, you see who's not wearing a bathing suit. But Right. That being said, the tide may not go out for another year and a half. So who knows? Yeah. I mean, uh, we touched on it a little bit with Richie last week, but uh, <laughs> I had a conversation recently with someone who's buying uh, crypto because uh, they got into a conversation um, <laughs> playing a, a video game. He leads a guild of... Uh, <laughs> of fighters in a a war video game and this guy became a trusted individual in this guild and so now they're taking advice from this guy who's also dispensing advice on crypto so now this person who i know who i cannot believe is involved in crypto has bought dogecoin and bought it at like three cents nice yeah, so it's like, <laughs> whatever. I mean, I think actually I saw something. I think Dogecoin is now going to be is now going to be able you're able to trade Dogecoin on Coinbase. Remember Coinbase? The, uh, Coinbase, yeah. yeah. So yep. Doge, but look at it. I mean, it started out as a joke, and now it's it, it's worth fifty four billion dollars. It may even be more today. I don't know. We have a lot of history, and we've seen this before. But look, when people are making money, and reality hasn't hit. They're making real money. I mean, it's not it's not bullshit. Um, and, you know, you can call bullshit on a couple of days or a couple of weeks. But, hey, you know what? These guys are forced to, to reckon with and you have to respect it. You have to respect it. Um, you certainly have to respect it if you're, if you're in the business of, of selling, you know, either selling individual companies short or, you know, e ETFs that have a certain sector that you want to short. You just got to be careful that, that two or three stocks, even in an ETF, like ETF, like kind of a basket of, let's say, a particular sector that an ETF represents, the sector of, of stocks, of, of, um, of companies. There could be one meme stock in there that all of a sudden blows to, you know, does what, does what AMC is doing, and you can get killed. You have to respect what's going on. It is reality, just because you don't think it's right, and it probably isn't right over the long term. But like we always say, you, you can, you, you can't, what, what, did you, what did you say when you came out of the womb, Aaron? Oh, I said that the market can remain irrational for longer than you have money. There you go, Cod. You're a genius. I think my mom was just talking to me in the womb, and that just kind of sunk in. Yeah. Goo goo gaga. The what, market what, can what, remain irrational. What year were you born? <laughs> 1982. Okay. All right. You know, the stock market, that, that's when the bull market started. 8280. So for all you know, like your mom could have been sitting there knitting by the fire, listening to Louis Rukeyser Jr. You know, he was the famous, he was he used to listen to Uncle Lou on, on, on PBS and Uncle Lou, great show. Um, Richie and I actually, we wanted, we wanted to do a show years ago, like back in 08. 
we wanted to be kind of a funny Louis Rukeyser Jr. You know, we but we would talk business. Basically, what we're doing now, um, but we'd have it by a fire and stuff, and we'd have a bar and all of it. That's we were. That's that was our vision. But anyway, maybe your mom was, you know, while she was knitting your booties or something, she was, you know, listening to that, and it just kind of through osmosis, it, it kind of got into your head. It's quite possible, yeah. So maybe I should ask her about that and say thank you because it's paid dividends. And, you, <laughs> and, and, now, look and now you know what a dividend is. Well, I think I knew even back then, to be honest with you. It <laughs> took a while to click to say that, hey, it's time to collect those dividends that you've been thinking about for 39 years. Mm. So I got to look up that that show. What was the name? What was the name of this host that you were talking about? Oh, Louis Rukeyser Jr. Louis Rukeyser Jr. Okay. You I got to look that up. You got to look at that. Yeah. Well, um, now, tomorrow, getting back to the markets. So tomorrow we have the unemployment numbers or the employment numbers from the Bureau of Labor Statistics coming out on Friday. This could be huge, right? This is going to be, as you, if you remember last month, which so early May, the, it's the first Friday usually of the month. So May gave April's numbers, April employment, and the market was expecting a, a million new jobs. And it got 266,000 instead of a million. And that really, the market didn't shit the bed. It actually helped the market because that kind of showed, well, you know, maybe inflation really isn't heating up because there's still an awful lot of, we call it slack in the labor market, where there's just not a lot of, there's still a lot of people looking for jobs. There's still a lot of people unemployed. I think that they, I read today that they need to make up about 8 million more jobs just to get back to the pre-COVID levels. So that really kind of put a bit of a, a break on people's inflation fears. Now, we got to talk a little bit about these numbers that come out. So for new investors, just, just know that, that, you know, really know that every six weeks and look it up. Every six weeks, the Fed meets, called the Federal Open Market Committee, and that's huge. You got to at least know what's going on there. You should tune in to CNBC or whatever. It comes out at uh, 2 o'clock Eastern time, and just, you know, we'll let you know every time the, the Fed is meeting, and they're not going to meet for a couple more weeks. Um, but you have to know that, and then the employment numbers. Generally, the employment numbers come out the first week of the month, and the employment numbers look at, so the June report, which is coming out tomorrow, June 4th, it's going to be from May. Last month, we got April, and we said that big miss. Now, one thing that is always true trading in the markets for a long time is the market will find the source of maximum pain, meaning that number is going to come out. And if guys are too far on one side of the boat or the other, the number is going to tip them over. It's going to find where it hurts people the most, and it's going to hit it. So we have volatile numbers like the employment numbers. I have a feeling tomorrow we're going to get a stronger than expected number. They're expecting like 600,000 jobs. I just have this feeling it's going to be a stronger than expected number. They're going to revise that April. Because all, um, a lot of employment number, the employment numbers, statistics, a lot of it is it's based on estimates. It's based on models. The Bureau of Labor, the government basically has models because they don't know. They don't, they're not keeping track. They can't keep track in real time of how many people are getting a job versus losing a job. That, take, that takes time. It takes reporting. We've often said, friends and I often talked about this, that you know, why do they put these damn things out every month? Every month. So like when you get the when you get the main numbers tomorrow, you're going to get the revisions for April and March. And sometimes those revisions are significant, which means that they just don't have they're, they're, the real data really starts getting there more on a quarterly basis than a monthly basis. Yeah. But the market, it's not even accurate information when they put it out. Right. So, you know, the question is, well, why, why do they do that? I 
you know, there's various reasons why they put it out monthly versus quarterly, but it creates a tremendous amount of volatility, especially in times like these where you're kind of waiting. You know, normal times, you kind of know what the number is going to be. But when you're dealing with this, where you're waiting for the economy to make a short turn one way or the other, these numbers get really important. They get really volatile. And I'll tell you right now, there's, there's some models, just real quick. The Bureau of Labor Statistics does not know. It's pretty good at knowing when businesses fail, right? And a lot of times, because when a big business fails, they almost, they have to notify the municipality or, or the state government that they're in that that either they failed or they're going to lay off or we're going to lay off a significant amount of people. So that kind of information is there. Maybe not monthly, but it's there. You know, two months, three months is there. What you don't know is Aaron started a new business and he hired forty five people, and now you're you're a going concern. People are employed with you, and you may, and and then they're they're getting paid, and you're and you're you're a new business. The Bureau of Labor Statistics doesn't know that. They won't know that right. for a year, right? Right. They yeah, have yeah. Something called the birth death model, right? So birth is new company, companies being born, death or companies failing. So they estimate every month. They have to make an estimate of yeah, okay, we know that you know a million company, well, thousand companies fail, but we're going to make an estimate that based on that. You know, probably 800 new ones started. Just throwing out numbers there. It's a total guess. Now, when it's a non-volatile time, like, you know, two years ago, I'd say no COVID. It's okay. It, 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 it gets there, right? But when you have events like COVID and this whole thing, like that, you might as well take that model and throw it in the garbage. Problem is, <laughs> they can't. That's how they generate the numbers. So these numbers are really subject to a lot of estimates, a lot of modeling. And are really subject to a lot of revisions. So one thing that, you know, we, we need to be concerned about is that that number comes in a lot stronger tomorrow. Infl- not that inflation ever left the table. People have got a little calmer about it, but that'll come right back to the front and center. And as we've talked about many times on the show, that ain't good for stocks. It's not good for anything. The reality is it's not. So if people start thinking that the Fed's going to have to act sooner rather than later, and they're going to have to either stop you know, tapering, stop buying the, the 80 billion treasuries a month and 40 billion mortgage-backed securities a month. That's going to be pretty devastating for the market. And as we've talked about in the past, the stocks that get hit the worst are going to be these growth stocks. Like AMC isn't going to be worth, I don't even know what it's worth right now, it was 46. But AMC, everything else equal, isn't going to be worth 46. And that's going to create a problem. Like we said, once again, this market is highly leveraged. Still record amounts of margin debt out there, people borrowing to buy stock from their brokerage. A good segment of the market is in what we call weak hands. And if people got to sell, they're going to sell, and that's going to create a disaster. AMC at 5138. It's back, baby. No. <laughs> um, and no, just um, the, so the former president of the New York Fed and also a former um, Goldman Sachs uh, uh, partner, Bill Dudley. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's well, you know, he, I love his, he writes well, he's, you know, he's, he's good. And he, he wrote an article about inflation today about it, it's not troubling yet, but it might be. He kind of said what I've been, you know, we've got a little disagreement here over inflation. I, I think I agree with the Fed, it's transitory. And the main thing is that we don't see wage inflation, significant wage inflation. There's still a lot, like we said, there's a lot of slack in the labor market. Still 8 million more jobs got to even get us to that pre, pre-pandemic level. Um, so I think until you get wage inflation and, and until consumers start 
getting it in their head that there's inflation, that I better get and buy this now because it's going to be it's going to be to cost me a lot more six months from now. Until that gets in, until that gets really rooted in, in people's heads, and you got people workers suddenly have power again, they could demand higher wages and get them. That kind of upward spiral is not available yet. That's what Dudley said today, but he said that doesn't mean it can't get there. So he's kind of leaning more towards the Fed, but he's he's putting it out there that you can't discount the fact that we could get significant inflation. Usually, when things happen, there's surprises, and people are not ready for them. The Fed has been wrong many, many, many times. Uh, and I know you have a, a kind of a cute little clip to play for that, uh, so that I gave you. Um, uh, really, it's about quantitative easing. Back then, they made this in 2008, 2009. But it's all, it's not about, it's also about quantitative easing. It's also, it's pretty funny about, they, they talk about the Fed and how many times the Fed's been wrong. Did you hear about the Fed? No. What about the Fed? <laughs> they announced another round of the quantitative easing. What does that mean? It means they are going to make large asset purchases via POMO. What does that mean? It means they are going to expand their balance sheet and buy treasuries. What does that mean? <laughs> it means they are going to print a ton of money. So why do they call it the quantitative easing? Why don't they just call it the printing money? Because the printing money is the last refuge of failed economic empires and banana republics, <laughs> and the Fed doesn't want to admit this is their only idea. So why do they want to print the money? Because they say we have the deflation, and the deflation is very bad. Final thing I wanted to mention is uh, we mentioned we talked about tapering a little bit a couple episodes ago, and um, I'm reading from Bloomberg here, the Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker, which I understand the Philadelphia Fed carries a little bit of weight. Mm -hmm. The Federal Reserve should begin discussing the time frame for paring back its bond buying program, Philadelphia Fed President Patrick oh. Harker said. Oh my, let's let's see what's, what bonds are doing on that. I mean, you do, yeah, so bonds, bonds are getting hit a bit, so treasury yields are going up, but not, nothing nothing dramatic. Now, you have to remember that, so the Fed, you have, um, you have 12 Fed, you have 12 Federal Reserve banks around the country. So there's 12 presidents of those, uh, those 12, 12 presidents of those banks. And then you've got the chairman, you've got the vice chairman, that's 14. I think that's it. Right. I think it's the it's so they all meet and they and, and obviously they, they meet in that federal open market committee meeting. And, and like we said, not everybody gets the vote. There's a rotating, you know, like the the, the like Robert Kaplan, the, the president of the, of the Dallas Fed. One year he votes. I think this year he's off. He doesn't vote. But he still he still obviously has input into what goes on when they when they have these. You know, they get around they get around the table for two days every six weeks and they discuss this and what they should be doing. Everybody has a view. There's always Fed presidents that are very hawkish, meaning they they are just always on the lookout for inflation, and they want to take these where we took, we talked about taking the part the punch bowl away from the party before the party gets started. That's yep. I think Harker's a, what we call a um, a hawk. Then you've got like Neil Kashkari, who's the Federal Reserve President of the, of, of, of the Minneapolis Fed. Love that guy, Cash and Carry. He's he's what you'd call a dove, and Cash Carey's always like, let 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 things run hot. Don't raise don't raise wages for a while. You know, I'm sorry, don't raise rates for a while. Um, you know, he he's more like he's of the camp of letting inflation really get to a certain level over and above that long term rate of two percent they want it to get to. He's more willing to do that. So when you listen to individual Fed presidents, and, and the problem is like these guys have become rock stars, at least in the business community, like. 
back in the day, you know, let's say before CNBC and stuff like that, you didn't know who the, if you were in the business, you knew the chairman of the Federal Reserve was, right? Maybe you knew one other guy or two other guys. You didn't know any who any of these guys, right? You didn't know who they were. But once CNB, once these guys, once a kind of cable uh, business, you know, financial news came out, whether it's CNBC or Fox Business, um, Bloomberg, you know, Bloomberg TV, all kinds of stuff, right? So you have these channels that are dedicated to business and finance. Well, all of a sudden, all of these Federal Reserve presidents are out on. The, they, there's a quiet period that they can't talk before, right before the meeting, right before the FOMC. But before that, these guys are on the road speaking, giving interviews, basically, to, you know, sounding off every day. And honestly, I think it's it, it's a problem. Most of us in the market think it's they, they talk too much. They should keep their mouth shut uh, more because that's how it used to be. But now, yeah. So back to I know it's a long winded answer to to Harker, but yeah, you wouldn't even know Harker said that, right? Like 20 years ago, you wouldn't know, because you wouldn't know who Harker was, and you wouldn't care. But now, yeah, these guys are out there saying stuff, and you just got to know, you got to know who it is that's saying it, and how they they feel on a long-term basis. All right, well, how does it make you feel when I read a little bit more of this quote? And he says, quote, I think it is appropriate for us to slowly, carefully move back on our purchases at the appropriate time. Uh, Harker said Wednesday during a virtual Women in Housing and Finance event, quote, when that is, that is something we need to start discussing. And I read that and I was like, well, everything that uh, Eric is saying is that when they start talking about talking about doing things, then they might as well do it. Does that apply here? Well, again, um, if Jay Powell said it, I'd be very concerned. Um, okay. As we, and that's what the market got a bit of a, a hit with the last Fed meeting, which I think was April 28th. That was because, yes, so, and they'll say some members did discuss, that, that's what they'll say, like, some members did discuss that we may have to begin you know, tapering or you know, slowing down our bond purchases every month. So it'll say that, but you know, again, I think you start figuring out who the guys are who are saying it, and you know, I, I just don't think Harker is that important, or Harker is not is not being inconsistent with his views, right? Now, if Neil Kashkari came out and said, "Yeah, we probably should think about it," that means that if he's all the way on the dove side and he's kind of going, that means that Jay Powell is probably already there, right? Gotcha. But. With regards to trading and the markets and investing, just know that's like just know that that's out there. Words can knock your not actions. Words can blow this market up. So what is deflating right now? The only thing deflating that I can see is the Fed's credibility. Did they have a lot of credibility to start with? No. Why not? Because the Fed has been wrong about every major economic development in the past twenty years. You mean they didn't see the internet stock bubble? No. In fact, they helped fuel the internet stock bubble. And they didn't see the housing bubble? No, in fact, they helped cause the housing bubble. And they didn't see the subprime crisis? No, in fact, they told us subprime problems were contained right before the shit hit the fan and the Lehman went bankrupt. So has the Fed ever been right about anything? Let me see if I can think of anything. Nope, nothing. And so much of this market is subject to the Fed doing something that is very artificial. The Fed is doing this, and they're controlling long-term interest rates, something they never did before the 2008 crisis. Now, 
they do it. And they do it through quantitative easing, in this, which is asset purchases. Um, so to the extent that the Fed stops buying, let's say the Fed cuts their purchases by 20%, treasuries. Well, you know what's going on with our budget, right? The, you know, we're spending and spending and spending. We're deficit spending. Our budget deficit's going up. Where do we get the money, right? Because we, we're taking in less tax revenues than we're spending. you got to borrow it. Well, the way you borrow it is you issue new, new treasury bills. As are treasury bills, treasury notes, and treasury bonds. Well, the more you do that, that's just increased supply. If all of a sudden the Fed says, "Yeah, we're going to go from you know eighty billion a month to seventy billion a month, ten billion. well, that means that ten billion treasuries have to find a new home because they're not going to get bought by the Fed. So that all in that that starts hitting the market. If the, so, as the Fed starts getting out the supply, because we're we're not decreasing the supply right now. If 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 we were running a budget you know budget surplus or not that big of a deficit, you wouldn't be that worried about supply." And all right, so they're going to stop buying, but it, it's bad, but it's not the end of the world. When we keep, I mean, we, we keep increasing our spending and we keep increasing our, bar, our, our borrowing through the treasury market. Well, okay, just do the quick arithmetic. The guy who buys 80 is only going to buy 70 this month. And you know what? We're issuing 150 billion notes and bonds this month. Okay, well, that, and now that, that's up, you know, let's say 10 billion from the last quarter, the last time they did it. You know, every month they do this. All right, well, that's 20 billion right there. Where, where, who's going to buy that? And that's the issue. Is this a cycle that's always happened or is this a slightly new phenomenon? Well, the quantitative easing is completely, it's a relatively new phenomenon. When the, when the Fed started doing it in 2008, 2009, and you have to remember, all the central banks in the world, all the major central banks in the world have this program now. Um, Bank of England has it. The European Central Bank has it. Bank of Japan has it. Um, other other you know developed nations, uh, other developed uh, economies also have relatively influential central banks. Like Australia's got the Reserve Bank. I mean, and they're all involved in this type of in this type of thing. Which really, it's printing money. Um, that's that's what they're doing. And um, this has never been done before. It's been done. By individual central banks, not the Federal Reserve, different times, but small. The Japanese are really the first one to start doing it. But you know, this phenomenon where all the major central banks of the world are doing it and are continuing to do it um, and not apering, if you will, or getting rid of the practice, then yeah, this is this market is on something that it's it's never seen before from a long-term perspective. And no one knows exactly what's going to happen if they try to take it away. The big argument is, can you take it away? The Fed doesn't want to be doing this. Nobody, it's just an it's artificial, the Fed now on. So um, mortgage-backed, Freddie, Fannie, and Ginny, it's about mortgage-backed securities. They, they and the Fed buys these. There's about 5 trillion of them out there, maybe a little more now because there's been a lot more supply. The Fed owns one-third of all the, of all the Freddie, Fannie, and Ginny mortgage-backed securities out there. They own a third of it. That's insane. I mean, that is just an, a gargantuan number. In fact, they may own more of a third, more than a third of it now. That's a very liquid, tradable market that you're used to having different players. The Fed has completely changed the game. And it's all about what the Fed is doing. And it creates all kinds of problems that really, the worst thing is we don't know. We don't know what we don't know, right? And that's the thing. We, we don't know what's going to happen if the Fed tries to do this. And the Fed may not try to do it for another two years, but it is a very, very big artificial thing in the market that has now been here so long that we don't know what's going to happen really really going to happen 
when the Fed finally tries to normalize and get out of this type of extraordinary monetary policy that they've been really in since the last crisis. It, it never stopped. Well, lots of good info here, Mr. Salzman. I know you have to go shuffle around some boxes and figure out the rest of your life here today. I'll be getting yelled at. <laughs> Moving is I never just want, fun. I just want our listeners to know that I've, that I've <laughs> sacrificed here. And I'm going to get a dose of shit like you know, I haven't gotten in a while just to do this podcast. Yeah, because, I mean you're you're in your new room, mm-hmm. no mic. You got your world is just in chaos, and here you are still recording the Monkey Business Show That's for right. the listeners. We love you, dedicated. We love, we love you. I love you too, Aaron. Back at you, Eric. Salute to all the monkeys out there. Thanks for listening. If you uh, want to pay back Eric for his dedication, just leave a rating and review wherever you listen, and maybe tell a friend about the show and uh, put some more monkeys in the bunch. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. Talk to you next week.